Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. For the talk, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 38. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, 38 chapters in. And to to get us started, I have kind of a three-part question that will come up on the screen. And I think we can all probably say yes to it. The first is, is, have you ever been irritated with the shortcomings of others? Yeah. Have you ever tried to fix them? Uh, Maybe. And had it backfire? Can you think of any time where you did, you know, you were irritated with their stuff and you tried to fix it and it backfired? Okay, here's, that probably can happen in different ways, but here's the way I'm thinking. When our kids were younger, now they're all kind of transitioning out of the house, uh, I had an expectation, maybe I was wrong. But I thought it would be nice if we didn't leave the lights on all the time in the house. Because we have to pay for that stuff. And so at one point I was frustrated with my children's skill at turning off the light when they leave the room. And so we had an official family meeting. Have you ever had a family meeting? I've called a few. Family meeting. Got them together and trying to strategize, how do I fix this in my kids because it costs money? So anyway, uh, so I, this was the plan. I think, I'm pretty sure this was the, the, the discipline if they failed to turn off the lights. Uh, the plan was, we're going we're gonna to learn to do this, kids. And if you don't, if I catch you leaving the light on, you're going to give me 10 sit-ups. Let's just try that. We'd probably try it a lot. Of, let's try that. So, you know. And so, just so that you know how it went, 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, here's what I heard. Dad, you left the light on in your room. (laughs) That thing. That wasn't what I was hoping for. So I use that to bring up a concept that I kind of made up, but I think we can agree upon it. It's called judgment whiplash. That's when we are too eager to judge others, and it comes back to bite us. And that's what happened on that day. Uh, can you relate to that? Have you ever done that? It could go something like this. Like, I can't believe that they're having marriage problems. And then someone says, now, how many times have you been divorced? And you go, oh, yes, I forgot. Or we get uh, judgy on someone's emotional challenges, and at the same time, we're taking medication for our own. Or physically, we say something like, I can't believe how big she's getting. She must weigh like 160 pounds. And then someone says, how much do you weigh? And you go, 210. Okay. Right? So this, this thing... Another way to look at it is I should have more grace for them because I have my own stuff. I think there's at least a few biblical examples 
of this happening where someone gets judgy on someone else and the tables get turned back to them. In Luke chapter 10, there's a woman named Martha, and she's really busy getting ready for a gathering that Jesus is going to attend. And Jesus is there, and her sister Mary has decided to just sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he's saying. And Martha gets really cranky, kind of judgy at both Jesus and Mary. And she says, Lord, don't you care? By the way, you probably ought not accuse Jesus of stuff. Just a side note. So she's like, Lord, she gets cranky with Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus, to that, says to, back to her, Martha, Martha. And he says to her, Mary has chosen what is better, which implies you're the one doing the thing that's not as good. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who gets caught in the act of adultery. A group of people bring her in a judgmental way, I would argue, to Jesus and they're making the case that the law says that, we should, that she should be killed for this sin. And Jesus, in his amazing way, turns the table and ends up saying, let, he doesn't say well, I was going to say he says, well, he didn't say that. He just says, let any one of you who is without sin, because the law said to stone her, to take, a, take, we looked at this last week a little bit, take big rocks, throw them at her until she's dead. And so Jesus says, well, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And of course, that group, basically, he says, no, no, how about, how about let's not focus on her sin right now. Let's, let's see what's going on in your life. And then the group ends up getting a different perspective. I think this reality uh, is why the Bible regularly cautions us about being too judgmental. In Matthew 7, 1, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And this is important. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Another verse from Proverbs 19 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. We're going to look at this verse a little later in the talk as well. And then it says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. But just to be clear, the Bible does not say never judge. Okay? That's important, I think, for us to remember culture. The Bible says... It doesn't say never judge. It teaches many things about judgment. One of them here is it says stop judging by mere appearances. And then here's the challenge. Instead, judge correctly. That's what we should do. If we're going to judge, sometimes we're just not supposed to. If we're going to, we should do it correctly. So hold those thoughts. We're in this series about the life of Joseph. It's called Joseph Facing the Twists and Turns of Life. And today I think we're going to try to get some help with this judgment challenge. We're going to look at a story of actually one of Joseph's brothers who judges harshly and quickly. And at the end of the story, the table kind of gets turned back toward 
him and he changes his tone. Uh, it's kind of unique because in the narrative of Joseph, which is what we're looking at for several weeks, this story, Joseph's not in this chapter. But it's like God knows of Joseph's brother and says, I got to get this in the Bible because there are lessons in the midst of it. So a couple things. It's a really entangled chapter, kind of messy, kind of complicated. So I hope that you'll take time to read it all. But I think to make this part of the story uh, understandable, you have to know three things to set the scene. First of all, a lot of sin in the chapter, a lot of mess in the chapter. Early in the chapter, there are two men identified as so evil that the Lord just puts them to death. That's which doesn't happen all the time in the Bible, right? It's a messy chapter. Another thing you need to know is Joseph's brother, one of the primary characters, his name is Judah, and he has a serious responsibility to care for his daughter-in-law, and he's not doing it. In this time in history, if you have an, a, a, a grown married son and he dies, the father is supposed to take care of his widow. All right? And the way they would do that would be they would offer the, the widow to another one of his sons so that she, I think, so that she will be taken care of. Does that make sense? And Judah is just not doing it. He has a son that is of age, and he's just shirking it. He's just not taking care of this responsibility for this woman. Now, her name is Tamar, and she is the suffering young widow. Um, and she comes up with a plan to get the care that she needs, all right? Now, here's where it gets kind of weird. Here's her plan. Since her father-in-law, Judah, isn't going to take care of her, she decides that she's going to trick him into impregnating her so that he'll have to care. How many of you feel a little bit better about some of the sin in your life? Right? Well, I never thought of that, right? The other little side note, I don't think Disney is going to make a movie about this chapter in the Bible. Just me. So, okay, but that's what's going on. So when we get to verse 13, now we'll look at this story. She begins to work her plan to trick her father-in-law, okay? I just like God that he includes this kind of stuff in the human story. Because we're kind of messed up. All right. Begin in verse, chapter 38, verse 13. Tamar is her name. And here she's putting her plan into effect. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enum, which is on the road to Timnah. For she, for she saw that though Shelah, that's Judah's of age son, had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. 
he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, the goat? She asked. So let me fill in what's going on here. Her plan is working, and she's asking for collateral. She's like, okay, so this is going to happen, but I want to make sure that I get the goat. So what are you going to give me? And she asks him if, to leave his cord, his seal, and his staff. Now, those are very personal items only uh, connected to Judah. So that would be like her saying, yeah, but just to make sure I get my payment, I want to keep your driver's license. And then when you send the goat, I'll give you your driver's license back. Does that make sense? Long story short, they sleep together. Judah tries to send the goat to get his stuff back, but Tamar hides, stays away with his personal stuff. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah judges. Judah says, Bring her out and have her burned to death. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. As, here's the twist. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these things, she said. And she, you get the picture? And she added... See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son. Did you see it? The twist, quick to judge, comes back on him because he's part of the mess. Title of the talk is Too Quick to Judge, Less Lessons from Joseph's Brother's Big Mess. And uh, what I want to do is uh, look at a couple things here that will, I think, help us be better at, if we're going to make a judgment, making right judgments. All right? Let's pause and pray. God seems pretty relevant to my life and I think to us. So will you make us, offer us lessons, make us better? If it's time to make a judgment, we'd love to make a good judgment. So show us how to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things, two lessons. Ready? First one is this. When it comes to a judgmental moment, pause for more information. We're going to go kind of fast today. Pause for more information. Pause for more information. Verse 24, Judas, Judah was told, Tamar is guilty of prostitution. She is now pregnant. And Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Now, I think that maybe it's just me, but that feels kind of quick and kind of harsh. Amen? And what I notice is he doesn't even take 
any time to inquire with any follow-up questions as to what's been going on in her life. Does that make sense? Not one follow-up question. He just listens and says, what? Burner. When, if, if we can jump into the story, if he would just inquire, pause, think a little bit, it would change his perspective. So I was thinking about this. How do you really imagine this? And so I thought, okay, she's three months pregnant. So here's, let's just pretend. Here's a woman who's about three months. She's got a little baby bump, right? So Tamar would have probably had a little baby bump. And if he just would have inquired at all about this, he would have realized some things quickly. When he says, burn her, he wouldn't be just burning her, right? He, there's her and there's a baby in that little baby bump, right? The second thing is she's, been accused of prostitution. She's not a prostitute. This was a one-time planned thing. Does that make sense? To, to say, oh, she's guilty of prostitution. No, this was a one-time gig. Side note. We live in a world that may chew you up and spit you out because of a one-time stupid thing, sinful thing. We do, I think, sometimes. I'm so grateful for Jesus because he does not dismiss us because of our one mega-stupid moment. Does anybody want to share the dumbest thing they've ever, the most sinful thing they did? And you really only did it one time. Uh, let me, I'll just call on someone. Uh, who's not making eye contact, right? We, but I'm, like, I'm making this little point. I'm so glad. And you probably need to hear, you may need to hear this. You may have done, like, a doozy. Can I just tell you, do not ever think that God has given up on you because of a doozy in your life. Here, side note, ah, I'm off my notes. Here's the gig. Tamar, who did this, which is kind of weird, planning sex with father-in-law, it's like this kind of, she is one of three women in the line and in the lineage of Jesus that's mentioned in the New Testament. That's cool. That means there's hope for us. Oh, you didn't like that? I like that because I've done some stupid things more than once. The other thing about Judah, if he inquires and gets more information, he would realize when he says burn her, he's about to kill one of his own kids. Here you can write this down. Judah almost killed his child. Because of a rash decision. Again, we're making the case for pause and give more information before you make a judgment. Proverbs 19.11, we already read this once. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I want to tie patience with overlook. If we're patient, oftentimes we get more information, and more information can give us more grace for a person's sin or shortcoming. Here's how it may work. You go to work, just pretend you have a job if you don't have a job. 9 a.m. in the break room, Ron comes in, just blows up. Who in the world made decaf coffee at 9 a.m.? Who's the idiot? No one drinks decaf at 9 a.m. 
burn them. Who did it? Right? Just like, have you ever, you're like, bang, 9 a.m. And what do we think easily? What a jerk. 4 p.m., same break room. You overhear a conversation and someone says, did you hear what Ron went through yesterday? His mom is back in the hospital. His daughter lost her scholarship. And the rainstorm last night all backed up the sewage in his basement. He didn't sleep at all. And then that information, if you have a heart, makes you go, oh, now it makes a little more sense when Ron blew his top about the decaf. More information makes a big difference. By the way, it's still sin, but more information gives us a little bit of grace. Just because my toilet overflows, that doesn't give me a right. That doesn't justify if I blow up at my kids or I go and get drunk or if I decide I'm going to go look at porn because I just had a bad day or I cuss up my name. Does that make sense? I got to make this point here. Just because life is rough, that is never a pass for our sin. Are you getting this? So that's imp- even if, well, I, you just, you know, we just don't know because I had this, I suffered this when I was here, and this happened to me, and I've got PTSD in this thing, and therefore now it's okay because I have. That doesn't work, okay? That doesn't work. We still need to grow up and own our own sin. But when we have more information, it can make us more gracious with other people's sin. And here's the great thing about God. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just pinch more people's little heads off? Like when they do something really horrible and you think, seriously, God, you're going to let them. Why did you not like just, you know, like, ding, like, why does this not happen? Come on, we can be real. And you think, really, seriously, here's this. Here's some theology for you. I wonder sometimes. It's because God knows their entire backstory. And although it's still sin, he knows, but I know this and this and this. And so that it makes him, I think, more patient. By the way, if you've got a sin thing going on, you should run to Jesus. Because he is capable of navigating, of judging correctly, but compassionately, greatest judge ever. Okay, so back to the quick to judge thing. Here's the last fill in the blank in this point. Let us, let's get better at, at gathering information before jumping to conclusions. Let's get better at gathering information. If we're called to make a judgment at all, let's get better at gathering information before jumping to conclusions. So that was the first point. Pause for more information. The second idea is... Pay attention to our shortcomings. Don't forget our part of this messy world. So back early on with the story of me getting critical of my kids, it changed my heart when I realized, oh wait, I also failed to turn off the lights. 
In, in verse 26, when Judas said, she is more righteous than I, I, right, since I wouldn't give her my son, he becomes aware of his own stuff, and that's going to change his posture toward judging her. And I want to take a little rabbit trail here. Something I respect about Judah is that he is willing to acknowledge um, or confess what I could call like a long-term, less ugly sin. I respect him for this because there are some sins, maybe like Tamar kind of sins, where you make a plan to sleep with your father-in-law, like where most of us would look and go, wow, that's a doozy. That, that's like noteworthy. But Judah's sin is more under the radar. He's just putting off a responsibility. He should be caring for her, but he's not. And I respect the fact that he's willing to own up to something that the world is not calling him out on. Does that make sense? Now, if you want to be an exceptional follower of Jesus or an exceptional person, you will not just pay attention, we will not just pay attention to some big, ugly sin thing. We will also be aware in our spirits and we will talk to God, we'll know the Bible well enough to know, you know what, here's this thing. I'm willing to deal with it even though I could probably get away with it culturally for a long, long time. Can I give you a Bible verse that I came across in my own Bible time? It's 1 Timothy 5.24. It says, The sins of some are obvious. That's like Tamar. I think most of us, when we heard the, her plan, were like, that's not God's will. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Judah, this will come up on the screen, I think, it's, but it's not a fill in the blank. Judah acknowledged the sin that was trailing behind. It should be acknowledged. The sin that was trailing behind. That's a great move. Another way to think about this, to fill in the blank, Tamar's sin was like a bomb while Judah's was a slow burn. But both sin, harmful, and we'll finish our time with the reality that if we stay aware of our own sin, it affects how we judge other people. You can read the text, and when it says, Judah said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son. Notice that he doesn't say, but by the way, go, go ahead and burn her. <laughs> right? It just changes him. It'll change us as well. Last fill in the blank. It'll change us as well. Last fill in the blank. Do I stay aware of my sin? Do I stay aware of my sin? 
The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do I stay aware of my sin? Do we have a recap slide? Yeah. So when it comes to a judgmental moment, pause for more information, pay attention to our shortcoming. Does that sound like a better, a good plan? Why don't you stand? We'll move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.